This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. If they do a video of you shaving your beard, can you put it on the premium side? Because I really just want to read the comments of people going, is this actually what premium is? And people complaining about <laughs> Like, just oh, as like so a perfect good. troll. That's good. That's good. Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by ManorDeprived.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mines they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-Team. KYT. He'll say to me, are you a pro? Not really, I just have a website. Then he goes, is it a pro website? <laughs> Jay Boosh. They're like, holy fuck, we're both over here, man. We both can't be over here, man. Scotty. Like, I stared him right in the face. I'm like, I'm only here for the buys. He's like, so you only want the buys. I'm like, once again, I am only here for the buys. <laughs> and Jeremy. As the 184th member, I promise the listeners that I will get that man to talk more. <laughs> that is my commitment to you. And now, the 18th. Hello and welcome to A-Team 163. It's Jeremy Schofield, the scumbag himself, coming at you. We've got a wonderful episode planned for you because we've got some truly, truly powerful beards in this uh, show. Uh, I'm going to start it off uh, just by introducing everybody. Mr. Scotty Mack, how are you doing? Super. Thank you, Jeremy. I am uh, I'm doing very well. <laughs> I'm doing really well. <laughs> yeah, things are super, man. Thank you. All right. Mr. J, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. What's happening? Beautiful, beautiful. I love the Cube Tutor stuff that was happening this week. Ah, sweet. KYT, what's going on? Fabulous as always. Excellent. Ready for your PTQ? Um, no, but uh, we'll make do. Beautiful. We'll talk about it in a little bit. We've also got a very special guest today. Scotty, did you want to take it away? Sure. We talked about it a little bit last week. We have, of course, none other than the man, the myth, the beard, CVM Chris Van Meter from Star City Games fame. You've seen him on the Versus videos playing against BBD. You see his articles on the select side. And Chris is doing a whole pile of streaming in his own right. So welcome to the show, Chris Van Meter. Thanks you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. I'm really glad to have you on. This is, uh, this is pretty sweet. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so we've got all sorts of cool stuff to talk about tonight. Um, what have you guys been... Obviously, KYT, uh, the, the mention came up that there's a, a PTQ for us this weekend. I am actually going also. I'm actually playing in said PTQ. What? <laughs> what? It's crazy. I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Um, KYT, uh, and uh, KYT and I were talking about it earlier today, and it, it comes to mind that this is the first event that he and I have actually played in together since GP Toronto 2012. Yeah. So, which is really strange considering we actually don't live that far away from each other comparatively. 
So it's just like we're always at the same events, but this is the first one we're actually playing it together. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. I'm I'm pretty stoked. Uh, we've been both kind of grinding like crazy, uh, looking at a pile of different decks. Um, I know KYT, you've been looking at recently the blue white Cido list. Yeah, yeah, just uh, trying to go back to what I'm used to, which is playing a bunch of blue white decks. Even though it's it's been a while since I've played something that's more pure control. I mean, the blue white decks in the past that I've played were in standard were Delver, Cobblade, Cargo, um, but it's been a while that I'm playing. Something that maybe since Super Friends, where it's more like Planeswalkers and and less tempo. So just wanted to try it out, just to mix it up, since I've haven't been doing well uh, with Mono Black because I'm just making a bunch of mistakes. So I just wanted to take a break from that and try it, and you know tested it. Just uh, I think the first night, which was yesterday, grinded a bunch of games against Bloody Mess Jess and Geminite and. Who are playing like Mono Blue, Golgari, and uh, Gemini being Alice Bianchi playing Red White Devotion, and I won most of the games, so it it actually felt really powerful, and it's something I'm considering to play this Saturday. Wow, mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome. Uh, Jerry, you got anything happening this weekend? This weekend is just going to be grinding a bunch of standards, so that's kind of the game plan. Going to get together with some of the sickos who are still left in Edmonton. And probably just jam a whole bunch of matches getting ready for Vancouver. Nice. Jay? You nope. playing any magic? Nope. You drafting a fuck ton of your cube online? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I do about 20 of those a day. <laughs> also, I don't know, but we never seem to get the same kind of packs in real life that we do on Cube Tutor. And also, fucking Cube Tutor needs to make like a way for me to at least oh, like start an opening hand or something. <laughs> I'm just like fucking every time I draft, I'm like, ah. Oh, Okay, let's see what No. Ah, fuck. Just draft again. Fuck it. So. You heard it here, Cube Tutor. Do the right thing. Yeah. Do the, Do right, the right thing. thing. Chris, you are playing in Columbus this weekend. Yep. The Star City Open in Columbus. You have made mention in your last article this week, which is a really good read, by the way, for those of you that are uh, curious or interested. You know, at least curious and beneficial if you're interested in uh, in the legacy format in general because chris goes really in depth and kind of going a little bit out of his comfort zone this weekend he's going to play some delvers which is really sweet but at the end of that article you uh you alluded to the fact that playing standard was going to be a monster of a problem so what do you have in mind necessarily Whoa. for this weekend in columbus bearing in mind that this doesn't actually come out until monday uh, well, I um, <clears throat> was initially going to stick with my Green Red Monsters deck. Um, I had a, a couple ideas on some changes that I wanted to make. Um, since when I played it in the PTQ in Philadelphia the previous week before, um, didn't do too well. Uh, but I, again, I, I mulliganed to three one game, got flooded out quite a bit. Another game as quite a fluke. But I've actually decided, uh, along with Brad, uh, this weekend that we're just going to play Mono Black Devotion for the next two Opens as they are the last two tournaments and the deck has already been proven that it's the best deck in the format um, and I have Brad is, uh, uh, access to all his knowledge for it so I'm just going to play play Mono Black and you know, see what can happen. I, I haven't played it in a tournament uh, before and uh, I, I do have a lot of experience with it but I think it is just the, the best deck and I want to give myself the best chances of getting as many points as I can uh, in this first quarter. Nice. 
Okay. Well, that's uh, you certainly know. You know, there's no way you can we can fault you for that. I I think that mono black is definitely one of those decks that really really uh, benefit the uh, benefit the player with you know the knowledge and experience. And like the mm-hmm. better player is certainly going to make better use of that. Uh, it's like a scalpel, right? Is the best way to to describe it, in my opinion. Because in the hands of a skilled surgeon, I mean, that thing is going to do some serious damage. But you know, to anyone else, it's just a totally little knife. So, absolutely. And, and when I wrote the article, I actually did have my heart set on playing monsters again, um, which is why I put that bit at the end. Uh, but since the article was had been written, uh, Brad has talked me into playing mono black along with him. Wow. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go that route. But I do think that, that Monsters is a very good deck still and standard, um, especially with, like, the, the Blue-White Saito deck uh, picking up steam. There's yeah. still a lot of people that want to play, uh, you know, the Blue-White Control decks or Esper or even Mono Black, and uh, the Monsters deck is very good against all of those popular decks. Um, yeah. you, you do have a l- little bit of a tough matchup against, like, the Green Devotion-style deck as well as against, like, the Red-Black Rakdos Aggro deck that won Santiago a few weeks back, um, but against all the popular decks, Green Red is very even, if not favored. Yeah. I, I, so, truth be told, as, as I started to pick it up too, um, I was looking at uh, playing Green Red. Just I, I've been playing all sorts of stuff all throughout standard season. Most of them have been, you know, they. I started after Pro Tour with all of the junk and Green Black variants, just because Reaper of the Wilds is insane. Um, but you know, then I, obviously, uh, we had Matt on the show and, and when Matt did as well as he did with Jund, I just, you know, I, I had to naturally gravitate towards that. So I gave that a shot, which of course then fueled my love it, my, refueled my love affair for Thundermaw, or sorry, not baby Thundermaw, <laughs> uh, for the, uh, the new dragon. Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting. And once I saw the uh, Gorkland Rampagers alongside of those dragons, I knew that we had found something that Scotty was going to like. <laughs> so I've been, playing, uh, I've been playing a pile of that as well. Uh, I was looking at your list. I was looking at uh, you know, Brian's list that he posted, obviously, in, in his article uh, last week. But ultimately what happened was is uh, Willie Edel, of course, um, longtime friend of, uh, of, of the stream that I run for Legit MTG, and uh, and he he and I were talking about uh, some lists in standard and what I was looking at and and he suggested uh, a list that a couple of his Brazilian grinders I guess have been killing with online and it's it's very very similar to that Naya mid range deck that took sixth place I guess mm-hmm. uh, so it's basically just the white splash for uh, Chain of the Rocks a couple sideboard cards and uh, due to Willie's insistence um, Selesnya Charm. Which seems like in seems like it addresses some of the major issues that the deck can have, like a desecration demon when you're behind, or you know having an extra trample effect, uh, potentially some some short term plays. And I found that mana splash has been almost free, with the exception of potential impact on your life points. So it's been uh, it's been interesting. But one card that so that's what I'm I'm sleeving up that for this weekend, uh, mm-hmm. Willie's version of it. It seems like it's it's really powerful. I've been doing fairly well with it online, but I have a real big problem with Xenagos, the Reveler, and okay. I really just have like no idea what this card is supposed to do. Um, I basically <laughs> like I, I I mean a lot of people have just been saying like I was playing this deck on my stream on Monday and people are like oh yeah it's like 
It's like Huntmaster of the Fells. It is not Huntmaster of the Fells. This card is not Huntmaster of the Fells. Stop, stop embarrassing yourself. Um, like, is this just a, a, a 2 2 for 4 mana that fogs? Like, is that what this is? Or, I, I, like, I understand in the control matchups, he's very good, right? Just mm-hmm. because he puts out a constant stream of guys. I understand that against the black match, he can similarly be very good because he can hold off the, the aforementioned pain in the ass desecration. Mm-hmm. I understand that too. Or, or pack rats or whatever. But, like, you never ultimate this guy, right? Like, that never happened. Does it? Uh, I, have, I, I have once or twice. Uh, it's not very often that you are ultimating him. Uh, in the situations where the plus one is better than the zero, you're probably already heading to win, so the ultimate isn't really going to matter anyways. Um, mm-hmm. I, and against a lot of the non-mono-black you know mono black or control decks, I actually end up citing all you know, most if not all of them out because uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're not that good once you get into the post-board matchups. Yeah. Um, but game one, it still can be very well, not only because Xenagos is a difficult card to play with, he's also pretty difficult to play against. A lot of people will either overvalue him and use, you know, way too many resources and time to get rid of him. Sometimes they'll undervalue him mm-hmm. and you'll end up, you know, being able to beat them because of it. Uh, it's not Huntmaster of the Fells, but it does put a similar type of pressure on your opponent where you're able to control the pace of the game and they have to answer it. Otherwise, it is going to, you know, take control of the game. And sometimes it's just four mana and it makes them use a removal spell on your 2-2 because even though they have haste, you don't have to attack. Mm-hmm. And then they, they spend their turn attacking your Xenagos. Right. So more often than not, it's, it's really just a, it's almost like a smoke and mirror. More often than not. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I found, yeah, like in most of the aggro matchups too, I mean, I mean, the mono-white decks, I feel like they're not, he, he's also not excellent. Uh, mono-blue, like honestly, I side him out almost every non-control deck, I think. Um, what about the mirror? How is he in the mirror for you? He, like, I usually like to keep in one in the mirror. Especially when I'm on the play, because there's, there's some games where you can go, like, um, one drop, two drop, into a Xenagos, plus one, play another two drop, and that puts you pretty far ahead. Okay. Um, but even then, uh, the best the best use of him in the mirror is to help you overlord Nizium orders. So I, in the mirror and against the white aggressive decks, I like to keep in one post-board, um, because your, your goal in both of those matchups is to try and overload him orders as soon as possible, yeah. and he can actually help, help you with that either by making them attack your Xenagos instead of you to give you an extra turn to get an extra land drop to overload the mortars, or if they ignore it, you get to do it much earlier than anticipated. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I've, you have no idea how many people I've been posing this question to. Like, is, how, how does this card even work? What are we doing here? Why is this even in my deck? And I keep, <laughs> like, I, I started with three, and then I shaved down to two, and then I was like, why am I even playing with this card? It's so terrible. And it's like every game that I saw him, I was like, what am I supposed to do with this guy? And he was just like, I get it. He's, he makes two twos. But when you put it into that perspective and when you, when maybe the issue is that I haven't actually had it in play enough to really evaluate the effect that it has on our opponent's tempo. Mm-hmm. So that's a distinct possibility also. Yeah, but, it, and that's a lot of where the, the Hunt Master analogy comes from. Uh, I remember when I did a, a deck tech with it, uh, the first time Brian and I played it, uh, with Ruben, he, you know, alluded to the Huntmaster, um, you know, analogy. His explanation for it was a little wrong, so I had to, had to, you know, elaborate on it a bit, but it does, 
allow you to control the pace of the game, much like Hunt Master used to. Like your opponents were having to main face their restoration angles or their grizzly salvages mm-hmm. to not let you flip your Hunt Master. Whereas with Xenoghosts, they're having to put a lot more pressure onto your Planeswalker than they would normally uh, with you know, any of the other Planeswalkers because making a 2 2 every turn can take over the game very quickly. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I look forward to the full complement of three in my 75 this weekend, and that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. But yeah, the, the, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying you sold them. Yeah, you got me. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I'm on board. Three's right. But, so. and, and on top of that, he's, a, he's very, very good against two of the three most popular decks. So if you're looking at the, the big three as mono black, mono blue, and some of Sphinx's Revelation deck, Mm-hmm. Um, he's very good against black and the Sphinx's red deck. Right, so that makes a lot of sense. That's one of the reasons why I kind of I I really thought the deck would be well positioned for me this weekend. Plus, it I mean, although it's got a lot of play and it can be very tricksy, um, you know, it's still a beatdown deck, which is awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> that makes me happy, and I get to swing with really big dragons and then play a pile of planeswalkers against control decks and force them to have answers. Like I don't really think there's much else that makes me happy in Magic except for, <laughs> you know, blood braiding into guys to Saint Trap. So I feel like this is pretty uh-huh. good. <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream. Yeah. So that's awesome, Jera. What are you looking to pick up for standard this weekend? Uh, well, I've been playing around with a few things. I was playing around with uh, a deck that Brad had been uh, streaming. It was like the the mid range Esper, but like going in a different direction with it. Soul Ransom Esper Humans. Yes, the Soul Ransom type thing, and I played around with that a little bit. And I just, I, I just don't like the Esper Humans looks. Like when it first came out, a lot of my friends kind of pegged me to be an Esper Humans guy. Like uh, <laughs> we had a few DPGs, and they were straight out expecting it. Like when they saw Turn One Soldier of the Pantheon, they're like, "Oh, Esper mid range is like." No, no, I'm the just truth playing is, white black. The truth is, Jeremy, is that we know you love little white boys. Oh! Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was rough. Uh, I've actually gone to... <laughs> I'm going to be playing the mono blacklist, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. I've been playing a lot more of that. Uh, we have a little bit of sideboard stuff that we've been trying out on our side, and we're seeing a little bit of success in it. Uh, we kind of have our list based off of uh, the Turtenwald list. Who's and, uh Well, just like Potter and Marcel and that group okay so uh we uh we've got uh, a few extra doom blades in the sideboard and one of the things that we've been trying out is uh liliana uh of the dark or whatever the new liliana is called i think it's dark, dark realms yes so oh. we have one of those over an erbos because they play three erbos in the sideboard we've gone to two erbos and a liliana and just it's it's given us like a way to kind of interact more with like thalia uh, interact with, or yeah, Thassa, interact with uh, the Green God Nalia the in the red white matchup to deal with like Perfos. It's given us like a way just to interact with the gods and some of like the bigger creatures. Um, in that you know you can kind of drop it down, do the minus to kill something, and then even in some of the control matchups, like as much as it's not drawing you a card, it's still you know pulling something out of your deck, putting things into your hand, uh, making your other card draw effects a little bit better, and then. It also, it's nice in the, the case where it's like the Sphinx Revelation, you activate a Mutavolt and give it like plus six, plus six or something like that and smack the guy in the face. Like you kind of get like these little weird situations where it just kind of comes out and does these like random things. Uh, not always as good as your Erebos because, you know, the not gaining life is a really big deal on that card. It's, you know, the main reason to play it, I feel. But we're, we're 
it's been good. It's been good. As like a I one think, up. I think that if that Liliana didn't kill herself the first time you used the minus three without Oh yeah. Her, she would actually be very, very good. Yeah, no, agree completely. Ridiculous. Yeah. ridiculous. But like the fact that you kinda have to like run it out and do a plus one on it, like kind of hurts. And it's better in the control, like in that kind of spot, but like just even as like a another removal spell that can go onto an empty board or go onto a board that doesn't need to kill something right away has been okay for us, so Seal of Doom draw a card? Kind of. Yeah. Not as good as draw a card, but Yeah. Something. Well, I mean, I, like, I, it's, I, can it's one. The, I can definitely see the merit behind being able to kill Thassa. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, like, it, it's got some, like, just little weird corner cases where it, it does <laughs> some stuff, so... It's something to try out, and I just, I've really liked it. Like, it, it catches a lot of people off guard, so... Sweet. And yeah. I mean, like, the good news is we actually haven't really seen it ever in the standard spotlight, so maybe people just don't know how to play around it. Well, it's not super exciting. Like, it's like you cast this spell and most of the time someone's going to roll their eyes at you. But... <laughs> or pick it up and read it. That's the best. Yeah, pick yeah, it up yeah. and read it is probably the best. <laughs> yeah. Jer Jer will have to play with one in Korean just to really well, screw I, up I, his I opponent. I, I have one in Korean and I have a Korean uh, the emblem token for it as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, yeah. I, I've got it all set up for that one there. But I'm really hoping that, uh, like, online it's been doing okay. I haven't had very many situations where I wished it was a, an Erebos, except for, you know, like the random, you cast it and they Sphinx is Revelation, you're like, geez, I wish I had, you know, something else, but. Cool. Yeah. I'm liking it. And I just like the mono black, like you guys are saying, it, it's the best deck. It really is. Uh, it has so many answers to everything right now. I just wanted to ask Chris, because he said he'd prefer mono black over uh, green red monsters. Uh, but he did mention Green Rebel Monsters having, you know, favorable matchups. Uh, where do you see Mono Black, like, where where does it excel more compared to your Green Red Monsters list to make Mono Black a better choice? Uh, I think that uh, Mono Black has uh, a much better matchup against the aggressive decks than okay. Green Red Monsters. So, like, the, the Orzhov aggro, the Boros aggro, um, you know, Mono Red, uh, any of the Rakdos aggro decks the Green Devotion deck, like those types of decks, uh, it just has a much better matchup against them than the uh, the Green Red Monsters. Okay. Plus, plus uh, even though Monsters is favored against um, Blue-White and, you know, can be favored against Mono Black uh, with the correct, you know, play and sideboarding plan, I feel like somebody that's, that's prepared very well piloting Mono Black can negate most of the advantages that uh, a deck like Green Red can, can have against them just by sideboarding correctly, keeping the right hands, and using the right removal spells when you need to. Okay, thanks. Because I, I was going to try the Green Red deck. That was one of the, I was telling Scott, that was one of the Green Red base strategies or, or the things I haven't tried yet in this format. So, But uh, I'll stick to Mono Black in that case. <laughs> um, especially, especially with there only being two weeks left, um, uh, yeah. you know, basically of, of the format. Um, I, I don't think trying to reinvent the wheel is where we want to be spending our time. Like, we already have these powerful decks. Maybe we should just go ahead and play them and then look forward to the spoilers because there's a lot of sweet stuff coming in one of us. Holy yeah. God. Mono Black yeah. especially. Jesus. <laughs> I, actually, I actually think Green Red is getting a lot more. Yeah. Right, so, so that fanatic of Xenagos seems insane, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, okay, so we're all in agreement that that card is, like, the most ex one of the most exciting uncommons to come out of the set. 
Xenagos himself is actually just absurd, too. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. Like, is that a card that actually makes the Hydra playable, finally? Like, no. Like, I I still don't think the Hydra's playable, but he himself is just ridiculous, because, like, he's the the only god right now that has an immediate impact the turn that he enters the battlefield. Like, there aren't any other gods that can do that, uh, which is really huge. Um, Plus, he goes along with, like, the rest of the green-red deck, so... Yeah. The Planeswalker version can help turn him on. Domri can help turn him on. Um, you, know, you still have Mystics and Karyatids. You know, the new the new Fanatic can turn him on. And then today at work, I realized the sweet interaction that if you lead with a turn one Springleaf Drum, Burning Tramissary actually lets you cast a three drop on turn two, which is pretty absurd. Yeah. Yeah, it's, or, or if you end up casting, if you get the Springleaf Drum on turn two, you can cast it for free. Mm-hmm. Because you cast it, you take one of your mana, you tap them, so you get a tapped guy, but you still get a free Springleaf Drum in there. Like, uh, we were talking about Springleaf Drum on the last episode, and I was just going on about how I just think that that You're going crazy! Yeah, it's perfectly <laughs> in the red-green deck. Yep. Wow. Yeah, so I guess it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I'm trying to think about how that... You drop him early, and then everything else afterwards has haste is disgusting. And and get to double power. So there's even situations where well, power know, and toughness too, right? Like yeah, yeah, like, yeah it's crazy. Like you, you get supreme verdict, and you can even just like mute vault activate target with Xenagos attack you for four. Yeah. Wow. Guess I should pre-order some of him, huh? He'd probably be worth it. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure what we're going to be pre-selling him at, but I imagine he's he definitely feels like uh, you know a thirty or thirty-five dollar card, and that's what he's going to be for a bit. Well, let's see. Not that I have anything bad to say about Star City, because I actually think that they're, you know, definitely decidedly the leader in our, you know, realm here, especially with all of the work that they've been doing with the tournament scene and such. But, you know, our show is sponsored by FaceToFaceGames.com here in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I can tell you that they've got Xenagos up right now for pre-order for $17. Well, that seems like a sweet deal. So how many of those should I buy, Chris? Should I buy a set? Would you ever play a set of these? Probably not, right? I think these set worth I mean, I feel like I, I want to play at least three. I'm actually working on a green-red deck that I'm going to play in our versus video next week. Uh, we're going to be brewing up some uh, standard decks with a new card. Oh, sweet. Um, I've already shotgunned Zenigo, Um and I <laughs> foresee myself playing at least three, if not four. Really? Wow, I guess I have to get four then. Instant buy, man. <laughs> Instant buy. This is ha- this is happening as we speak. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. This is happening yeah, right now. Yeah, it says that there's only 12, and I'm trying to get four of them right now. Yeah. So. Okay, me too, me too. <laughs> Fuck you. Get yeah, off. We're going to sell them out right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be sweet. All right. Uh, yep, update my quantities. Yep, great. <laughs> Place my order. Jared, I had one more question uh, to finish up on the bl- mono black discussion. I know, like, it, it comes to like the number of scrylands. Like, Owen went from three to four, and I've talked to John Stern. We like we're starting to like four more. And I just talked to Marcel today, and he feels like if he were to play again, he'd probably um, he'd probably play five at this point. So I don't know where you're at in terms of the scrylands. I'm at four feel. right now. Okay. Uh, going with the white lands is what, like the black white, right, right. Temple of Silence. Yeah, 
Now, why would you go Temple of Silence in particular over um, Temple of Deceit? Uh, my honest reason for it is because I hate Blood Baron, and if I rip one off the top with the Nightville Spectre, I want to be able to cast it easier. I want to get that card into play. Okay. And also against, like, all the white X decks and stuff like that, you just get a better chance to put, like, a little dork out to block if you attack with your Nightville Spectre. So, I just think that there's better things to do with the white. Chris, where are you at on that? I actually prefer the blue. Um, just because I think it's more more often that you're going to be playing against uh, a, a blue deck than like the white aggro decks or blood baron, um, and against like the mono blue devotion, specter is going to be one of your best cards. Um, so I like being able to cast also, uh, or or get to a point quicker where you can cast like a a jace or a light edge. Right. Got but it. to be a black lance jace, Jesus. But to be honest, it's I really feel like it's neither here nor there. Like I don't think you're going to gain any any percentage points by playing one over the other. Yeah, because like I was talking to John, and he he prefers white because he feels one of the more explosive cards to get out of mono blue is double blue, anyways. And you're probably um, so he likes that's why he likes white more to get to somehow be able to get like those cheap weenie guys uh, in those. Aggro matchups. I don't know. I like like Chris said. It's probably super close and uh, doesn't doesn't really. I just have white for now, but I could easily go go blue. It it hasn't really changed much in the games that I've played. Like maybe one out of like a ton that I've played where it mattered. Okay. Yeah, like if if you're connecting with with your Nightville Specter, I don't really think it matters what tempo you have in play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you see yourself going up to five, Chris, or where, where are you at? I don't know how much you've played uh, the deck because you've been on Green Red Monsters. Uh, I think four is the right number. I, I, okay. I can't really see myself playing five. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting stuff. Um, Chris, all the best of luck to you this weekend. That's going uh, to be big. Uh, KYT and I, we will certainly have our report when we come back on how our PTQ went. Hopefully, uh, KYT will not curse this one with another run of his terrible luck. High chances, though. <laughs> High chances. KYT went down to the uh, PTQ two weeks ago in... Syracuse. Syracuse. So he was there when all of that crap went down with the you know people standing at tables and all the rest of that stuff. And, of course, he was at Connecticut this weekend just passed. Oh, no. All the way down from Montreal. Yeah, so I traveled far for these two PTQs because I wanted to. I was telling the guys like, uh, twenty four. I took a few months, maybe half a year break from from major tournament play. So I decided to go strong, and I'm I'm going to Toronto, which is six hours away normally. So really going hard starting twenty fourteen, going to three far PTQs for me, and the first two have had. You know, pretty bad things happen, but uh, outside of outside of the events reporter crashing, it was one of the best. I, I called it the best in my article, the best PTQ experience ever because there were like Scott, you would have loved it. Like free Wi-Fi with for for us Canadians, that's huge. Free Wi-Fi, um, Twitter pairings, free fruit drinks, a uh, water. Um, like it was as if. You bought like a VIP package, but it was given to you for free, and wow. yeah, everything was really enjoyable. So shout outs to Ice Imports 
which I thought was a very sketchy name for, for a card store. Uh, but it turned out to be the best experience possible. Uh, but going into round five, for some reason, it was like 4.30 p.m. We hear like a 20-minute dinner break called, and we're like, uh, what? Like, I, I can understand a lunch break, but it's 4.30. Like, what's going on? And after like the 20 minutes had, had 20 to 30 minutes had elapsed, the TO finally said like it was like, they clarified more was because of technical issues. We waited an additional 15 minutes and it said that, okay, guys, we're like, we can't recover anything. We've called wizards. We've done everything. Nothing's recoverable. We got to need, we need like some guy to manually put in all the results from round one to five. So come back at 8 p.m. Uh, so it was five. And since it takes us five hours to get back home and we're just, it was a nine round PTQ. So we'd have to come back at eight with four rounds to go. Um, I mean, it, it, would gonna, it was going to finish past midnight and the drive would, would have back would not have been enjoyable. So we decided like me, Frankie and Barry were out of contention for top eight anyway. So we just decided to leave, but it was definitely like, a bad experience because I, I still wanted to play those rounds. I still wanted to gain what little Planeswalker points I could have gotten, and it was enjoyable to play. So it was very, it was a huge downer, uh, on, like on our way back, just to have it crash and just be like, I mean, I was three two. I just want to gain more experience with Mono Black Devotion, and you know, I, I wasn't like our car wasn't going to stay three hours doing nothing just to play five extra matches. That's uh, it's, that's terrible. Frankie must have just been like twitching. Yeah, because <laughs> he paid for nine rounds, and yeah. we got. <laughs> now I understand you guys got like a fifty percent rebate or something, right? Um, I guess we did. We weren't there for that. We maybe we were maybe the first ones to drop. So mm-hmm. I I don't know what happened there. And the reason I tell Scott that I'm wary about uh, Toronto is because they already have. Talking to Kelly, the TO, over 200 people pre-registered for this PTQ. Yeah. So you got to understand, Chris. We in Toronto, I mean, we do it right. I mean, the last two biggest PTQs have been held here in Toronto, globally. By the way. Yeah the uh, the one I went to last weekend in Philly was over 300 people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be amazing. I I actually half expect this in a break four, honestly. Well, the cap is four oh one or four one one, something like that. So it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy. All for, we, all for this winner take all tournament. We like yeah. our magic. <laughs> you know what? Truthfully, Chris, so people, hard. People come just to just to play and hang out with everybody, and more importantly, they come for the the Scotty Mac karaoke parties afterwards, Fair. which are like legend. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> no, yeah. you got it. Oh. So it's don't it's, encourage him. <laughs> So, but yeah, like speaking of, of legendary, um, let's, let's get to know you a little bit, Chris, and then, uh, and, and let's, let's get to know, uh, how you came to be here at this place in, uh, in your magic career. So I know that you just recently went through a big, huge interview with another podcast recently. You've been like a podcast animal this week. Yeah. Like. Everybody was like, "Hey, let's do this." And I'm like, "All right, let's, let's let's go. I got time." <laughs> so I uh, so I won't I won't belabor too too much for you. But if you can just kind of give us a, a quick summary of how'd you get into the game and and uh, 
and how you came to be affiliated with Star City. That'd be super. All right. Well, I, I've been playing. I started playing in 1996 when I was a freshman in high school. Um, and I've been playing off and on ever since then. Um, when I finally decided to start playing seriously was back in 2011 when I was living in Wichita, Kansas, uh, playing nanny for one of my buddies uh, and him and his wife and their kid. Um, I decided that I wanted to start traveling and playing in um, the Star City tournaments. It was the first year that they had introduced like the points and the players club for the Star City Opens. So I just started you know, grinding and playing as much as possible. Uh, I got my first uh, top eight and Star City Open in Kansas City in Standard. And the following week, I won a PTQ to qualify to go play in the Goya Pro Tour. Uh, and from then on in 2011, I was just playing as much Magic as I possibly could. Yeah. I was able to, gr- to grind all the way up to level eight, along with uh, Jerry and AJ. Um, uh, Drew, uh, Drew missed it barely, but like Nick Spagnolo, Edgar Flores, uh, Burton Cheney, and all those guys. And I was all planned and ready to do the same thing for all of 2012. And then they changed the Players Club. So instead of getting the $250 appearance fee that we were getting for going and showing up and playing in the tournaments, um, we were getting nothing anymore. Yeah. So yeah. it just wasn't financially viable for me to, you know, spend four days a week traveling um, and then three days a week, you know, testing and preparing for the next event without, you know, having the tournaments be guaranteed to pay for themselves. So I just basically stopped playing Magic. Got a job at Target working overnight because I had bills that I still need to take care of, um, and it was just miserable. Uh, partway through 2012, um, I decided that I wanted to try and get closer to Roanoke, get a job at Star City. I had joked with Jerry a few times about, you know, if there was ever a position open to let me know, uh, and I, I'd come out there and take the job. And he told me that I should stop teasing him because I knew it would never happen. And then a few weeks later, I told him that I had moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, so I could be closer and let's make this happen. So it took a few months for me to get an interview, uh, got in, got my foot in the door, just part-time doing inventory stuff. Um, as soon as I got there, Lauren Lee, who was the content manager for the website, took me aside and was like, hey, you know, uh, you're playing Magic again. We'd like you to start writing again. And we'd like to cert- cycle you into the versus videos. Nice. Which was, awesome, which was awesome. I was all for it. I mean, I told her that, basically I told her I, I didn't come here and take a part-time job sorting Magic cards so that I could not do everything else that would be possible here for me. So I, I d- dived right in. A few months later, I had a full-time position that they ended up creating for me uh, because of my history of magic cards and my knowledge of like magic rarities. And there's been such a good, there was such a good feedback on the times that I was on the versus videos that Cedric decided just to make it be myself and BBD uh, with the weekly series. And now we have this awesome, pl- awesome players championship, and I'm playing as much magic as I possibly can. That's awesome. That's super awesome. So, so you're uh, so you're obviously available now on select side every week, and mm-hmm. you are also doing the versus videos every week as well, and they go up every Friday with uh, yep. you versus BBD. Yep. So I I have to say that I actually enjoy your guys versus videos the best. Um, no sh- no shame. Uh, both of you personalities mesh very well together, and uh, and I generally like. Uh, like the decks you guys are picking and you know they tend to be you know very close to the meta and you know with with occasional you know real spice and it's it's really nice to see it's it's a really great way to start a friday morning let me tell you so <laughs> well, thank you i appreciate it yeah so you guys definitely uh keep up the good work it's pretty awesome so uh all right so there are a few things that if, people that have seen you on coverage obviously for the star city events 
they and obviously your versus videos, they know you for your beard. There is there's no shame. There's no you know there's no sense beating around the bush. You sir have an epic beard. I do. I have an epic beard. <laughs> so I understand that there's a small story around this epic beard. There is, and it's kind of just taken on a life of its own. Uh, and it wasn't the initial point of it. So I had well, like three months ago, I had uh, decided um, jokingly talking with Brian and Brad and Todd when we were all sitting around at an open that I wasn't going to shave until I won another tournament. And somehow word of that got to Cedric in the booth that day. And as I was on the feature match, they started talking about it uh, on coverage. And it just became like this big thing literally overnight that I wasn't going to shave until I won a tournament. Obviously, I haven't won an actual tournament uh, since then. So it just continues to grow. And Everybody loves it, so uh, yeah. I, I don't even know if I want to shave it now. Once I win something, it just it has its own life. I mean, it has its own personality now. Uh, even in my stream, there's some guy has a, a username on Twitch called CBM's Beard, nice. uh, and, and interacts with me on the stream as if it was my beard talking to my face. I actually, got to meet him uh, when I was in Indianapolis for the open, and he was just like this this little like scrawny stoner kid, just like high out of his mind. He comes up, he's like, "Hey man, I'm CBM's Beard," and we like talked for a bit. And like it has its own its own personality now. <laughs> That's awesome. Like Reed Duke's hair has its own Twitter account, and you have your beard has its own Twitch ID. That's so awesome. <laughs> wow. So okay, so so like good news, bad news story is that you haven't won a tournament since then. That is correct. Now I did win a Super IQ uh, a few weeks back, but I decided that I wanted to you know aim a little bit higher. Okay. Um, and try and do a little bit better. So we're hoping to get a, a win um, in an open. Uh, I did have a top four at the Indianapolis uh, Invitational, the, yeah. the Legacy Open. Uh, and I, since then, I've probably lost four or five win and ends. Uh, so I, I've been playing very well, getting you know progressively better. We just need to close in that last round. Nice, nice. And there's definitely no, like, you know, maybe if I just not make this attack here, my opponent will kill me and I won't have to shave the beard. Like, there's no there's no point shaving going on here, right? No, no point shaving. Um, uh, you know, when it does come time to actually shave the beard, I have been told by Cedric that it does have to be recorded. So it will actually be, be available once the shaving does happen, um, which it will, uh, despite a lot of people's wishes. Uh, Cedric actually said on, on camera in, in Indy that he hopes I never win again so that yeah. I don't so that I can never shave. Because um, it does give them a lot to talk about whenever they put me on camera when they're doing commentary. But yeah. I think it's funny. Well, um, it's too bad because it's like they're not going to talk about the cartwheel, but, uh, you know. I know, the cartwheel is much better than my beard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys don't know what we're talking about, you can uh, go through and search on Google for Cedric's cartwheel, and you'll see what we're talking about. It was pretty awesome. He is one graceful man. If they do a video of you shaving your beard, can you put it on the premium side? Because I really just want to read the comments of people going, is this actually what premium is? And people complaining about it. <laughs> like, just oh, as like so a perfect good. troll. That's good. That's good. So, uh, you have been... So, where are, you, where are you living right now? I live in Roanoke. And who are you living with? Uh, well, I live with um, uh, a couple of the guys that, that work for Star City. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one is a buyer. Uh, one works in customer service. 
Um, and we have a, another roommate that just recently started in the warehousing department, uh, moved down from Baltimore. Gotcha. So it's just, just four of us that work, work, work at Star City and just play a bunch of magic. That's awesome. I, I had a, I, it was, it was for some reason in my mind that you and BBD were roommates. Uh, we are not roommates. Uh, however, at, at some point, I imagine that it will happen. He currently lives with David McDarby, um, right. and they are in the middle of a lease at their apartment. Uh, we did have a room open up here um, that was available to him, but he still has his lease. So I imagine at some point, him and I will probably get a place together, uh, either just the two of us or maybe even with Brad, because I know that Brad uh, uh, now is you know in the midst of looking for living arrangements at some point uh, yeah. ever since him and his girlfriend split up. Right. Right, right, right. So, uh, so you guys are all doing this. So, BBD obviously is, you know, uh, also very well known for his uh, dramatic life transformation. And I understand that he's uh, dragging you guys now on board. I mean, between him and Ali and Trazi, it's like Jesus Christmas. What's going on here? Yeah. So, so now you guys are all getting in the fold. Is it? Is it, are you? You guys involving Brad in this as well? Yeah, actually, uh, with the whole MTG Fitness thing, yeah, uh, it's a collaboration with Brad, myself, one of my friends from Washington. Uh, his name is Evan Arkin. Uh, he plays magic up there, and my old roommate from Kansas, uh, Joe Steerwalt, uh, the guy that I moved out and played nanny for. He um, was, you know, just a big fat dude as well. Four years ago, when I was there, decided he wanted to change his life. So we started, you know, working out, going to the gym, being healthy. He took it to the next step and ended up becoming becoming a personal trainer. Wow. Does bodybuilding, all that stuff, just ripped, just a big buff dude. Um, but since he is a personal trainer uh, and we are very good friends, he's you know always you know tried to talk to me about you know dieting and um, exercising, losing weight because I've always just been a large person. And you know, within the last six months or so, it's you know just starting to hit me that, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I, I am over 30 now. Um, and I'm in this you know position in my life where, you know, I have the dream job You know, I get to go play magic all the time, but the lifestyle is just a very sedentary and leads, you know, leads you to this you know unhealthy place. And I want to be able to continue to spend time with all these awesome people in my life, you know, be able to do more things. Uh, you know, like I want to go skydiving, but I can't, because I weigh too much. Like there's yeah. just all these different things that I want to do. Two two hundred and fifty pound limit, yeah. Exactly. But and when I go there, I'm going to Vegas and my buddy is gonna take me skydiving. That is the uh the deal that we, we came to. Nice. Um, but uh like I I have all this stuff that I want to do and I have the resources available to me to do it and I have the example with Brian and Ollie. So it's you know, about six months ago it was just like, why not just do this? So and, and Brad felt the same way after his, you know, split up with his girlfriend, did a lot of life reflection, um, and he is also in the same boat. So we are helping each other out and keeping each other accountable. Um, and currently I'm down, you know, almost 40 pounds and he's down a little over 30 pounds. Good. We've only been doing it for about, about six weeks. Uh, and it's just, it's awesome. Wow. 40 pounds in six weeks. Yep. That's stellar. Good for you. So are you guys running a program, obviously, that, that's been designed by your previous roommate? Yeah, so uh, we're both on the same diet. It's the four-hour body, I believe is what it's called. Okay. Uh, ba- basically, I just eat a, bu- a bunch of chicken, vegetables, and beans all the time. Uh, and so we're just staying away from uh, white carbohydrates, basically. Yep. So no, no bread, no rice, no pasta, no sugar. Um, so 
you know, I just get to eat all this awesome food. I, I like to cook a lot, like to grill a lot. So we're always cooking stick or chicken and steaks and hot dogs and sausages and stuff. And Brad is set up with an actual personal trainer here in town. I took a bunch of his tournament winnings from the Invitational and bought a bunch of time with a personal trainer since he is the type of person that needs that person there, you know, yelling at him to, to, to keep going. But I'm set up <laughs> on a, a, a workout regimen through my, my personal trainer friend that myself and actually BBD is doing it with me because he's lost all the weight, but his focus primarily on cardio. And now he wants to start building strength and turning all of his weight loss into muscles. So we're doing um, like a primarily plyometric workout. It's not, not so much focused on strength as it is focus, focused on increasing your core and uh, uh, building muscle while losing weight at the same time. Yeah. And like once you get all of that stuff established, like, I mean, once, once you've got that foundation, uh, the rest of it buffs up real quick too. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's something that I've been, uh, I've been acutely interested in monitoring sort of the, the progress of that stuff. I've been on a, a kick myself. I'm, I'm down uh, 50 pounds myself since September 15th. Oh, awesome. um, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I mean, like I I started sub 3. Um I was about I was about 274 when I started. So, you know, it's 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 been challenging. I did the same thing, you know, uh personal trainer and diet. The diet diet uh, restrictions sound fairly similar. Like I'm eating, you know, 5 6 times a day and you know all that jazz. So, it's uh it's been great. I I feel like it's a brand new lease on life and I'm I'm really excited. Somebody our editor Kyle made a comment. He was watching me on stream on Monday and he said, you know, I, I feel like I was watching the twenty five year old version of you that I never knew. <laughs> wow. You know? And I like like wow. I'm push, I'm pushing thirty five, right? So that was a pretty high compliment. Nice. Um Yeah, but Does I mean do anything like, wrong? What? Does Kyle do anything wrong? Oh, I have no idea. I, I it's really hard. I, I just don't even know. I don't even know. Kyle's our, our podcast editor, and he's like, you know, I don't think he's even human. But no, he isn't. No, no. And that, like, the the transformation is uh, definitely happens. It was a, a joke that Ruben sprung on me when he ambushed me for an interview in, the, uh, in Vegas for the Invitational. One of the jokes that he had was he asked me if I've ever been referred to as DVDs before picture. Uh, and uh, it sounds a little harsh, but it's, it's actually pretty funny and quite true. Oh, that's funny. No, it's it's weird. We were looking uh we were talking about this a little bit towards the end of our show last week and you know, I, we posted Ali's been on our show before too, right? So so I mean, he was he was on our show back and around when he won uh national championship and and so on and so forth and so we uh so we knew him then, right? And so Jay, for example, has been on the show, hadn't seen pictures of him at all. Because, I mean, he hasn't been, you know, as active on Star City, SCG Live and all that sort of stuff, right? And so I, I, he posted a picture on Facebook of him the other day, the one where he made the comment and said, yes, that's my purse. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I sent that to Jay yesterday at the end of our last week at the end of the show, and he just lost it. I couldn't believe it, man. He looks insane. He looks like a new person. Like, you can't even recognize him. Yeah. yeah. He's a totally it's different person. It's definitely new. And you also have to... You know, keep yourself braced if you're ever on his Facebook because he likes to post pictures of his uh, his waistline a lot as far as, like, showing off his happy trail. And <laughs> nice, yeah. Print tattoos. Yeah. yeah. You know what, though? That's hard fucking work. Like, yeah, show you, it off, man. You know what? You you get that, like, you get that muscle run, you know, that, that kind of, like, leads downwards from in between your hips, and mm -hmm. it very clearly shows that you're fit and in shape, you know? 
That's ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't you show that off? I'd just be walking around with my fly open all day if I had that. <laughs> like, I don't care how cold it is. I'd be like, yeah, look, I'm this hot. Are you kidding? All day I would do that. Anyways. Sales would go up. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously? Yep, in, in, in a lot of different ways. I, should, I would probably have to go and change my market, but uh, yeah, sales would probably go up. So... Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I'm really glad. Uh, I'm really glad to see you guys doing it. I I noticed that there's just like so much meat all the time, and just like proteins and nuts and sausages and all that sort of jazz. So I had to ask. I know you guys have got like a million questions about about that sort of stuff, and you know, is it just Atkins that you're doing, or what you, you know, all that jazz? So four hour body makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, Brian did the just like a pure paleo, so he doesn't do like the. Uh, like I, I have to have like one or two cheat meals each weekend to uh, you know re-kickstart my meta- my meta- metabolism. Mm-hmm. And I have to have beans at every meal. Brian is just like pure paleo, so he just eats cheese and lunch meat and almonds and beef jerky nonstop. So I I can't do all the dairy, but I, everything else is fine. Yeah, I found that my my big issue with with that for me personally is I'm just I'm just so worried I'm going to have a heart attack. I just, it's, it's so much, it's the fats and stuff that I have to control too. I just look at things wrong and I gain three pounds. <laughs> it's terrible. Basically. That's why I try and eat as much, as much chicken as I can and yeah. vegetables. Uh, I do try and treat myself with steak. Uh, it's especially tough because my favorite cut of steak is ribeye, which is really fatty. Ditto. Um, but, uh, like I just have to try and eat as much lean chicken as I can and yeah. just cram my face with vegetables because it's just the best for you. You know that, like, you got to believe that fat kids know food, right? <laughs> well, not only do fat kids know food, you'll find that most people that are, like, extremely overweight are the most knowledgeable people about how to lose weight. Like, it's not like we're fat because we don't know how to lose the weight. We're just lazy and like food. Yes, I agree completely. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I couldn't put it better. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, good for you guys. I. You know, we look forward to uh, to to seeing how well that turns out. Um, are you exclusively grinding Star City circuits, or are you also doing semi-local GPs, or like have you thought that far ahead for the year? Uh, I'm going to be doing as many of the Star City things as possible. Uh, my my goal for for the year is to well, one of my goals is to qualify for the Players Championship. So I am going to be prioritizing uh, opens over Grand Prix. Okay, uh, but it. Any Grand Prix that are in this area, Star City does a good job of like putting the opens on the West Coast when there are East Coast Grand Prix. So, uh, you know, whenever there's an open that I can't get to, but a Grand Prix that I can, I will be going. Because I honestly feel like I have a better shot at qualifying for the Pro Tour through a Grand Prix than at a PTQ. Like I'd rather play. I'd rather play in a 15 round two day Grand Prix than you know go play in a 400 person winner take all PTQ any day. Yeah. No, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. How do you feel about scaling the invites in a PTQ of that size? So there's more than one. I think it'd be a good idea. It makes sense. I think it would be a very good idea. So how many? How many? Like how many do you think that you would give? Like before it becomes, I don't know, like diminishing. Um, I, guess, I, think, or that with, I think that with like 400 people, um, you know, you could at least do top two, if not top four. Hmm. Yeah. See, like that's reasonable. I would think if so, I know that Wizards has expressed like some major concerns about the volume of people at the Pro Tour, um, and that's been what they claim to be the issue. Whether it's that or whether it's 
the number of airfares that they're putting out. But um, I wonder if if you were going to do top four, like at a tournament that size, I wonder if it's, you know, first place gets airfare and the other three get invites. I think that would be very reasonable, too. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if that's sort of like the happy medium, right? Where they don't have to put out so much money for it, but at the same time, you do reward the player base for showing up and turning, you know, and, and turning out like that. So, I mean, they did it for Grand Prix. They've, we've obviously seen, you know, the increase in invites uh, and the scale there. So it'd be really sweet if they did it, if they extended to PHQs. That'd be a good idea. Good question, Jay. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Really? You can't give away too many flights because then they just keep taking away more uh, Western PTQs. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, I just want to just cry even more. Yeah, it's weird how it's like if the Pro Tour is ever in Vegas, you guys on the West Coast have like eight PTQs, and we all the way over in the East Coast have like two. What's with that? What? That would never happen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know Toronto's like the 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 California or Roanoke of Canada. For PTQs, okay, it's it, it's rough because I'm in the the western part of the country and uh, I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. So uh, nearest city to us is Calgary, which is about a three hour drive, and then from there, like Vancouver, which is fourteen hours. Like places that would have PTQs, like you have to go a really far away to kind of get anything uh, on the PTQ scene. It's usually like a full day drive type deal, and they cut us back because they want to have 20 seats given out in Canada or something like that. And it just, it, it was like grading to us. Cause it's like all the folks in Toronto, it's like they get their Toronto PTQs, which they get like the, the lion's share of them. And then they've, you know, got the Northeast U S there. So in trips that are much shorter than the ones that we have to take, they have, you know, another dozen PTQs available to them. Like KYT has been just hitting PTQ after PTQ. Uh, he's mm -hmm. in Montreal, but, it's, you know, it's like something that he has access to that he can pretty much hit him up every weekend, it almost feels like. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We yeah, I can't believe it, but every time that people are talking about, oh, we're going to PTQ again and again and again, and it's like, man, I think our <laughs> next PTQ is six months ago and is in six months. Yeah, my nearest PTQ within a 12-hour drive, my next one is in March, and then after that, we don't know. Wow. So, yeah. Plus, it's infinite dollars to fly in Canada, which yes. is another issue, too. Yes. We're crushing Vancouver, Jeremy. So we better. I, I, that's the only city I know how to play Magic in. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. But anyways, if 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 it's on your potential radar, uh, Chris, uh, we KYT and I are attending Grand Prix Boston. Oh, is KYT Prix. in for that now? KYT's in for that too. We're going to GP Wusta. And uh, if you make it out, it would be super sweet. I would love to hit the gym with you, sir. That would be a really sweet honor. Absolutely. There's a very good chance that we'll make it. Brian and I have driven up to Wooster for uh, an Open before, so <laughs> I don't see any reason why we wouldn't go for a GP, nice. even though the drive is completely miserable. It's in the summer, too, so you don't have to worry about dying. Yeah. <laughs> That that last road trip you guys took back, what was it like 12, 18 hours, something like that? Uh, it's, it should have only been an eight-hour drive, and it was almost 14. Yeah. yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. Although, like, we didn't see any accidents. Like, I only had one slide that I had to correct myself out of. So, we, like, it took that long because we took our time and wanted to be safe. Um, thankfully... Uh, work was nice enough to give us that Monday off when we got snowed in, so we didn't have to leave Sunday night and get stuck somewhere. Nice. But yeah, it was uh, 
it was quite a shitty trip. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. To say the least. Well, um, you brought up something that is really interesting, and I want to make sure that we talk about it because something that we're seeing fundamentally change is Star City's doing a really good job of dedicating a whole bunch of resources to promoting the living hell out of this open series that they've got. Um, you know, obviously, we've seen some changes with the uh, the the commentary team. We've seen some more uh, narrow dedication occurring there, so we're able to you know able to provide a more consistent experience for the viewer base in terms of you know viewer personalities. Um, mm-hmm. But where this all, I guess, sort of is is building from is the addition of this players championship. So you had mentioned that. You know, back in 2012, 2011 area, um, that's when we were doing the, you know, we, we had the, the Players Club and the benefits and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's where, yep. you know, it was like during the, the Cobblade era and Jerry's uh, Jerry's Playground, as we like to call it here on the 18th. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Jerry. We miss you. Come back soon. Um, but yeah, so we've obviously heard that there's been some major changes. Um, no longer are you getting the appearance fees, and they basically said, "Yeah, sweet, you know, no more buys, and you get this free box, you know, and maybe some sleeves. It's pretty good." Um, yep. but now <laughs> we've come to this players' championship. So tell us a little bit about what that is, if you don't mind. Uh, well, the players' championship is a sixteen-person uh, invite-only tournament where they're going to take the invitational winner from each quarter. So there's four slots there. They're going to take whoever is the total opens points leader for each quarter. So there's four slots there, and it is a a rotating year. So now that we are in quarter one of this year, quarter one of last year has been dropped off. So it's quarter two, three, four, and then quarter one of this year, or where they're taking the points for. And then at the end of the season, they'll take the top eight points earners that aren't already qualified. And that makes up your 16 people that are playing in the tournament. Um, prize play- payout is very similar to the Invitational, where there's you know, tens of thousands of dollars available uh, to be earned. Uh, just for qualifying, you're guaranteed at least $500. Plus, they're going to be flying you out to Roanoke. So if I do qualify, I will be submitting uh, a gas a gas receipt for having to drive to, to work to actually play in the tournament <laughs> so I can be reimbursed for it. Sweet, um, that would be like 12 bucks, right? Less than that. I, 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 I literally live three minutes away. <laughs> yeah, they give you the time off work for that too, or are you going to have to like you know work in between rounds? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the players' championship is what I think that they envisioned what the invitational was going to be when they first came out with the invitationals back in 2011. So with how the invitationals have evolved, now there's four of them each year. And, you know, they're they're these big cash prize invite-only tournaments. But because of how popular the IQ program has become, there isn't, you know, just like, it's not very exclusive to get into an invitational. It's no longer like the elite. Yeah, there's so many different ways that you can qualify for the invitational. They're very very accessible, um, which is great for the player base. But I, I think that they still want this type of, you know, exclusive tournament that allows them to, build their stars um so that's what the players championship is going going to allow it to do very similar to you know what like a, a the pro tour or even like the old invitational that wizards used to have where you'd be able to design a card that type of thing where it makes it 
very prestigious because it's going to be very difficult to actually qualify. Right. So that leaderboard is is shown, and that's kept up to date. Who do you know who's responsible for adjusting that? Uh, it's Jared Silva and his organized play team. Um, okay. I know that I know that for the most part, the opens get updated fairly quickly, but the IQ points being updated are pretty slow because it all depends on how quickly the store actually submits them. Sure. Um, but uh, it's 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 usually up to date within one to one to two weeks of points. Okay. So we look at the leaderboard right now and we have you in fifth slot mm-hmm. in such company as uh, top eight includes uh, Andrew Tenjum, Owen Turtenwald, uh, Max Teets, obviously yourself, Eric Smith, Brad Nelson, BBD, and crushing everybody with his monumental size and force is none other than William Jensen. Yeah. Um, man is more magic god than human, I think. And one hell of a karaoke star, by the way, if you've ever had that privilege. Uh, I have, and it is fabulous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you are well up there. I mean, you are you, you know, good handles above most of the people underneath you. And I mean, between you and Brad, there's not a lot of points. So you're pretty safely in so far uh, at this Players' Championship so far, right? Well, yes. However, you have to remember that it is a rotating year. So at the end of this year, when they take the top eight point earners that aren't already qualified, Mm -hmm. it's only going to be for points earned this year. And the points that are showing there are including all the points that I got in the last three quarters of last year. Uh... So I do have have to continue to do well uh, to stay in the place that I am. But I I think it's definitely a possibility. one thing that was I found really interesting to myself is that I was the only player that was able to finish last season in the top eight pointers that didn't have an invitational top eight. Wow! So I haven't top eighted any of this any of the invitationals, and every other person that had basically over a hundred points had top eighted an invitational uh, over the course of last year. So I think that if I can spike an invitational this year with a top eight, it, you know, it'll basically lock me into qualifying. Sweet. So, with this like chart here, is this a, if you in the next two tournaments manage to slingshot yourself into first? Like, I don't know how many points do you get for winning uh, uh, an open? So it's like twenty points for winning one of the opens. So, okay. if, if I were to happen to slingshot myself into first by the end of this quarter, then it would automatically lock me for the championship at the end of the year. So, do you know, like, I imagine BBD, Brad Nelson, those guys are still, like, in the hunt. Those guys are still going to tournaments. But is is Jensen going to any more opens in the next, like, couple weeks? Are you guys kind of keeping track of who's going to be available at these things? Or, like, there's some guys who are just kind of, like, locked in with these points and aren't really in the race right now? Or is that something you just kind of keep track of? Because of how lucrative this Players' Championship is going to be, for the, for the most part, all of the people that are like in the top 10 points are going to be going to as many tournaments as they can. I do know that Huey skipped Indianapolis because it was a blizzard and you literally could have died if you tried to go there. Um, but I, I imagine that he'll be in Columbus and he'll be in the, the rest of the Open this quarter. Yeah. Cool. So first prize for this is 20 grand, by the way, for this Players' Shit. Championship. Yeah. Second place is eight grand. Third and fourth is four grand. Fifth to eighth is two grand. And like you gotta figure there's only sixteen players. So if you're half as good 
as the rest of the players in there, or draw half as well, you're walking out with like at least two Gs, plus a free flight, plus the free flight. Yep. So, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Now I see why people like Owen are grinding the shit out of these things. And it's not even just the opens that we're grinding, because you do get points from these IQs. So I've been going to as many IQs and super IQs that I can when there isn't any opens. Like the the, the new season started right after the Vegas Invitational. Mm-hmm. And it was around the holidays. So we had like these two two to three weeks that there weren't any opens that I could go to. But I was going to you know, anywhere from one to two IQs each weekend to try and get points. And that super IQ that I won actually gave me six open points. So it was you know just as much as a top eight just for winning the super IQ. Wow. So it's like actually fixed that whole Planeswalker point system. Good. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, quite the brain trust going on over there at uh, Star City Games, huh? They're, they're trying. And, and, and I really like how they're able to use this Players' Championship to create a leaderboard, create some hype around the ranks, help them to build their stars, which I don't know if you guys remember a while back, there was like a four-part uh, article series that was written about how bad magic coverages and things yeah, that yeah. Could, could be done to try and make them better. And one of them was to build build up build on their stars, create some hype around it. So Wizards took that with their leaderboard and now Star City is following suit with this players championship and leaderboard. Sweet. So as an apology, we should have been referring to the entire episode as number five CBM. <laughs> yeah. God, that does get a little annoying from the Wizards coverage, I won't say that. Well. So, uh, tell me. Number five CBM. Number five CBM. Scumbag stories. You are obviously grinding a shit ton of magic. You are playing against a ton of different people. Living in Roanoke, Star City compound being as large as it is. There has to be some really good scumbag stories that you come across in your time. Uh, well, I've I've never purposely scumbagged anybody. Um, I did have a situation earlier this year where I was paired up, I paired down at X1 and 1 uh, against somebody who needed to top 32 to qualify for the Invitational. Um, but based off of standings, I was only like 60% that I would be able to make top 8 with a win. So, uh, you know, the, the guy, you know, agreed to concede, um, and I ended up getting ninth on breakers. So I missed top eight, but thankfully he got 32nd, which allowed him to qualify for the invitational. So it isn't, I didn't actually scumbag him, but there was a, a huge possibility that it could have happened. The biggest scumbag story that's happened to me yeah. uh, was actually in 2011. So it, since I've, you know, gained a little bit of fame, if, if you want to call it, from the whole Star City thing. I haven't really ran into a situation where I've been scumbag. Okay. But back in 2011, I first opened Top 8. Um, so the story behind it was uh, the, I was playing the Blue-Green Genesis Wave deck that Tommy Woods had designed. We and he love designed that it. deck on this show. He had designed it for that, for that tournament. Uh, and I'm very good friends with Tom Ma which is one of his friends who was yep. playing the deck, and he gave me the list at the start of the tournament, but didn't tell Conley that he had given me the list. Oh, no. I end up topping the tournament and get paired against Conley in the first round of the top eight, and he <laughs> finds out that I'm playing his deck, and just like, I, gets really mad at Tom, tilts off a little bit, 
but calms down so we can play our match. Uh, we go through, you know, all the split paperwork. There isn't a split. He calls a judge over and asks the judge aloud, am I able to agree to any price splits with my opponent? And judge goes, no, you can't do that. Uh, you guys aren't, you, you guys aren't able to agree to, to price splits because the split was turned down in the top eight. He goes, all right. The judge leaves and he looks at me and he goes, we can't agree to them where the judge can hear. And I'm like, all right, you know, I agree with that. Uh, you know, you know, just basically, we're basically verbally agreeing to a split without actually saying it. So we don't sure, trouble. Sure, sure, sure. We, we play the match. He ends up beating me. You know, I, I end up leaving because it was, the, you know, I was, I was done with my matches and they were going to play the top four the next morning. That night, I call Tom and I'm like, hey, you know, you're staying with Conley. Just wanted to make sure that, you know, we're still going to be splitting based off of our conversation. And he goes, word for word, he goes, no. Conley just said that he wanted to split with you if he lost, but since he won, he's not going to split. Whoa! Boats! Yikes! Yeah, that was my my first experience with Conley Woods as as a nobody. Um, Getting getting scumbagged on a split. Uh, And since then, I have never taken somebody's word on a split uh, because there's just no way to know who's going to do what. Wow. That's big. Yeah, that's big scum right there. That, that's a story. Yep. Wowza. <laughs> well, man, that's, yeah, that's balls. <laughs> but I did end up winning the PTQ the next weekend, so I guess it works out. Yeah, did you use the same <laughs> list? Because that would have been really funny. Uh, actually, no, the, the the season was extended. It was the last extended season. Okay. Uh, and I won with the green-white trap deck. With uh, Iona and Emrakul and Windbreast Heights. Yeah, Spectral Procession. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the deck was real sweet. I love me some green white tokens when it was standard legal, too. Nothing quite like flipping over on over off of Windbreast Heights. Oh, yeah. I got to, uh, I, got, I played against a friend in the finals, this was in Kansas City, and I got to uh, cast Emrakul on turn three. <laughs> in the finals. Yeah. Actual nut, like Noble Hierarch, into Wind Breast Heights, hiding Emrakul, playing Nest Invader. And then... Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Well, that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Guys, uh, what topics would you like to cover with Mr. CVM? Yeah, so I, I got one. And uh, just one of the things that kind of comes up in my head because. I see that you know you got you got SCG and they're doing like their big open series and they like push a lot of their guys and you got a lot of like the coverage and you got a lot of you know internal SCG guys SCG employees who are like big stars in the open. Has there ever been talk or have you ever heard of them kind of like doing? Because everything seems to mirror like the Wizards of the Coast kind of thing. Like you know you've got your opens for your GPS, you've got your invitationals for your pro tours, and now you've got like your uh, your World Championships, Player Championship type thing. Have they ever, you know, kind of hinted at, you know, maybe not having, like, the Star City game guys inside the Open? And have you ever heard of any, like, blowback saying that it's, like, a ranked thing? Because uh, not that, you know, there's been anything to say that it is. It's just it always feels weird when you see, you know, like, the guy who's working for Star City doing well in the Open. And it would make sense that they hire the guys who are really good at the Open to work at Star City. But has there ever been any chat along those lines? Or are there people who are excluded from playing in those tournaments? Um, There aren't people that are excluded. And there, there isn't any chat along those lines that I've heard, but I imagine, um, you know, things like that have been said. 
uh, as you'll find with any company that runs competitive events, employees doing well in the competitive events has the potential to look bad. Um, Brian and myself are actually the only people that are employed by Star City that are, are grinders. Todd and Brad are just contracted uh, to do media uh, for the articles oh, okay. and whatnot. They're not actual Star City employees. But Brian and I are like actual Star City employees. Um, and I think that there's you know enough variance in the game uh, to show that you know it, it, there wouldn't really be any way to rig it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Brian and I tend to come across as you know, level-headed, nice people, anyways. So I, I don't think many people would suspect us of you know, being scummy at all like that. Cool. So about those Star City comments. Obviously, you write articles every week. Mm-hmm. Um. There is a wide variety of quality of comment that is placed on most of these articles. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, how do you feel when people are just having ignorantly silly discussions in your comments? Um, we read all of them. And so, you know, Brian and I talk about on the videos that we read all the comments. Um, and we're not joking, we do. And whenever there's those comments like that, we make jokes about them and laugh about them incessantly. Um, people even go so far as to make comments like, one time we did Modern, and I played Affinity, and like I didn't play it very badly, uh, but somebody actually said that I ruined the deck for them, it was their favorite deck, and they could never, ever play it again because of how badly I played it. <laughs> okay. In the comment. And I'm just... It, blows my mind that somebody would take the time to think that up and then write it and still be able to. <laughs> wow. wow. And we do have our, I don't want to call them stalkers, but there are some people that will always post comments on like the videos or articles, you know, whether they're negative or neutral. Um, most of the time, you know, the people that stand out are the people that will post negative comments always just, Know, second guess a card choice or you know talk about a line of play in a video that ended up being wrong that we already pointed out was wrong in the video but they still wanted to talk about it uh there, there's one guy that for a while would would always post um whenever i lost that he was you know upset that i lost and brian got so lucky and every time that i won he would talk about how he was upset that i didn't win even more because brian got lucky <laughs> just really funny to see comments like that oh good lord Wow. So you and uh, you and Brian are pretty close in in actual real life, huh? Yeah. Like we we both work at Star City. Uh, we have, where we are in different departments, but we do have like a, a messenger program um, since we you know actually have to have jobs that have us working on computers. Right. So we're able to you know chat and BS throughout the day. Uh, you know about decks, what we're playing, uh, that type, that type of stuff. Cool. How big is the compound? Like I've never actually been. Obviously, is this is it like. I use the word compound. I feel like I don't use it loosely. <laughs> yeah, you don't use it loosely. Uh, it, it is quite large. Um, I'm not sure. I want to say the exact square footage of the building is like 20 or 25,000 square feet. Uh, but the, the storefront is located in the front and it is um, a fifth of the, side of, uh, of the size of the building. Really? So, so what do you do there, then? Uh, I work in a department called special projects. Uh, so um, there's just, just a bunch of different specialized positions. I primarily deal with bulk. Um, so uh, my main job is to uh, you know, 
create lists of cards to search out of bulk based off of sales numbers and uh, filling inventory holes. Um, primarily dealing with comments and uncomments. I don't deal with the rares too much, but my job is primarily dealing with bulk comments and uncomments. Electronically, or do you like you're going to pull these out of bulk piles? You're, well, just putting, I, you're just creating I, I, a list, right? Well, yeah, I, I create the list and then I, you know, manually search boxes of cards. Wow. I'm like flipping through some com. I like my collection. I'm trying to think about. God, I'm trying to find this one common. Where is it? And I think about going through, you know, all the different piles of boxes. That's a that's a job, sir. Yep, and it's not so much looking for like one or two specific cards. Like we do have, you know, other positions that you know will search out specific cards to like fill orders or you know for for whatever reason that we would need them. But mine is more generally, you know, we have this bulk box of commons and uncommons that was sold to us. Um, I already have a list created of cards that we would keep if we run across them, you know, that, that I have committed to memory, and so I would just go through the box and pull out all the cards that we would keep and right. the cards that. The cards that we wouldn't keep, uh, we're able to recreate both lots to sell. Cool. So um, streaming is something that you're doing a lot of. Uh, you stream every Thursday, typically? Yeah, but before the holidays, it was every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. Um, set, since then, for 2014, I've decided that with the Players' Championship being such an important goal for mine, uh, I'm only going to be streaming one day a week. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, Thursdays. It'll be Brian and myself gonna be streaming, um, together, uh, you know, testing whatever format we're going to be playing the following weekend, doing a bunch of giveaways, that sort of thing. Um, but I am cutting down to one one night a week because I want to you know, spend more time focusing on testing for the event. Um, and, uh, you know, doing well at the Open is a little more important to me than, uh, than streaming during the week. It was just running me a little thin with the full-time job plus the streaming. Yeah. Now, you obviously um, have access to playing with some of the you know, most notably amazing Magic players that are in the U.S. right now. You know, a lot of them are around Roanoke. You've got access to all these people. How has this improved or, or helped your game? Quite a bit. I find that I'm learning things constantly. Um, you know, my, my number one focus when playing Magic is, is just to get better. Um, I'm not focusing so much on winning and losing, but just to learn something from you know, basically every game. And so being able to to spend time playing with players like BBD or Todd Anderson and Brad Nelson <clears throat> or playing with Jerry Jerry when he was here, like it's definitely helped me sig- significantly get better just from being able to see the you know the types of things that these players would do, you know, on a game to game basis, whether it's uh, you know mannerisms, things that they're focusing. You know, bluffing, lines of play, long-term planning, all that type of stuff. Uh, you can talk about it, you can read about it, until you actually see the things that people are doing. Uh, it's just, there really is no way to pick up on it. Uh, along the same lines, an interesting story. Brad, uh, Brad tells us this story about when he was testing for um, the Crotor Dragon's Maze uh, with Reed Duke. Uh, they were playing a bunch of games where he was playing their band deck, against Reed playing the green-white tokens deck at the time. <clears throat> and on every single turn three of the game, Reed would play an untapped shock land and take two points of damage and make sure that both players noted that he took two points of damage just to put the thought of root-bound defenses in his opponent's head every single time. And Brad didn't catch on to it until it was about 17 or 18 games into, into, into the set. 
Um, and he, was, he tells us the story, and he says, it's at that point that I realized that Reed Duke is such a better player than I am that it's embarrassing. Just because of simple things like that. Wow. Yeah, it's it's all in the little things, right? Mm-hmm. All those percentage points are what adds up, especially now with how the magic cards are being designed for standard. Like we have all these crazy, powerful, awesome magic cards that are all just butting heads, going head to head. You have this mono blue deck, this mono black deck, green red monsters, these white aggressive decks. All of these decks are full of awesome, powerful magic cards, and it's all about getting those small percentages that add up over the course of the match that pulls it out for you. It's an interesting perspective because a lot of people are just saying, oh, magic's becoming all, you know, luck-based because, or it's all about haymakers. You know, the cards are so powerful that it makes up for these, you know, small little errors that people make. You know, one big top deck can swing the game way more than it used to be able to. But the way that you're trying to communicate it, it's almost like all things considered equal, the player still matters. Well, I think it's both, but I think, like, obviously there's a vocal minority. But uh, when you have powerful cards, I mean, like, if you brick two lands in a row and some guy gets two Thundermaw Hellkites in a row, like, is that luck or is that him being good? Well, it, it all depends on what's leading up to that point. Like, if if he put himself in a position where, you know, drawing a Thundermaw Hellkite or two Hellkites is going to win the game, um, then, you know, those are decisions that he took to get to that point. Yeah. And from the flip side, like, if you know that Thundermaw Hellkite's in your opponent's deck, and if there's a situation where they're going to run around or Thunder Ma and kill you, then you know you can plan for that. You don't have to use your removal spell on their two-two. So you can take an extra four points of damage until you can handle it later. That way, you have your removal spell for the Thunder Ma type. Right? You know all those types of, of planning and thinking, uh, you know, is really what's going to end up determining who's going to win, uh, even with all these powerful magic cards. Hmm. That is a very interesting perspective. And contrary to what most of the public says, so that makes it even more exciting. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the difference between like a top level player and a mid to PTQ level player, right? I one hundred percent agree with that. Actually, yeah, it, yeah. It, one of the big cards that is in controversy with that exact same argument right now is Pack Rat. Um, a lot of people just feel like you know it's not fair. Uh, it's you know. The card is just too powerful. Sometimes you just lose to it. And it's like, you know, if you know Pack Rat is in your opponent's deck, um, you, know, you have the ability to mulligan any hand that you have. Um, and you have the, you know, it's, it's your choice on what deck to play before the tournament even starts. So if you know that Pack Rat is a thing, uh, you know, I, I either wouldn't play a deck that completely folds to it, and I wouldn't keep a hand that would completely fold to it if I think that my opponent's going to have Pack Rat, or even if I know my opponent's going to have Pack Rat in their deck. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's been a big thing, even when I was uh, doing that Grixis list and working with that. It was just, like, Anger of the Gods, Mizzy Mortars. Those are cards that you have to play because you have to be able to answer a Pack Rat. Like, you're, you're just going to run into Pack Rat, and Pack Rat is a card that just needs its own needs its own ways to be dealt with. Yeah. So. I've played a lot of Domri's on turn two and fought my Mystic into a Pack Rat. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm right there with you. I um the the thing that I find really interesting about Pack Rat in general is I feel like that also contrary to a, what a lot of people feel is one of those play skill litmus tests. Because there are certainly times when you need to just go all in on Pack Rat, 
there are times when you, you know, go most of the way and then you need to take a turn and then you go back in. Like watching I watched Owen uh take down that open with Mono Black and I was I was watching most of that day because I guess that was that was the first one back from holidays, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And uh and like he played that deck absurdly well. He he plays very, very good magic. And watching him play was just was amazing for me because watching the decision trees that he makes about pack rat were really, really, really important. There's so many people that just either go all in or don't know when to stop or stop too early, you know, and, and knowing that balance is, is so important. Me and, uh, or I guess me and Aaron uh, Campbell and I talked about that. Uh, we both have no fucking idea how to play that card. And actually that's a big reason why I don't play and don't like that mono black deck. Like it just feels like I'm losing to myself. Because I'm losing to like like bad players, I'm losing to bad decks and jank, and it's like just not fun for me to, um, like spend five hours of my time in a sweaty hot box going two two because I don't know how to pl- like I don't know how to play pack rat, and I and I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to discard to it. I'm like oh this third this fucking desecration demon. Oh no, that's a fucking wicked card on turn four to just kill them. I'll discard this. Other pack rat. Now nope, that seems stupid. I'll discard this fucking swamp. Well, now I'm stuck on three lands for the rest of the game, and they just detention sphere me. Like it just—I have no idea how to play that card. And it's—it's it's funny when other people say like it's just an autopilot card because it—it certainly can seem that way on the other side of the table, but I think I have to disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree that it's a very challenging card to play. To play properly. It's like yeah, Redo can write an opus about Thoughtseize. Like, there's probably one that could be made almost as long for Pack Rat. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's good. So, uh, PTQs this weekend. Uh, Chris is going to be in Columbus. So, make sure you guys go and check that out. Um,. You're running uh, Blue White Red Delver as per your legacy article for the legacy portion. Yep. Which uh, which format do you feel more comfortable in generally, standard or legacy? Uh, usually legacy. Okay. Usually legacy, just because I feel that I, I don't know, just in general, I, I just feel more comfortable in legacy. I I have a large knowledge of Magic cards. I've played a lot of the, the legacy cards and I've had the most success in the legacy format so it's just generally makes me feel more comfortable in it um, there are times where I feel extremely comfortable in standard depending on the deck that, that I have it, you know if it's very good um, but in general like I feel better in legacy okay. uh, who's the best player you know that no one else does the best player that I know that no one else does yeah no one else is being like public in general. Uh, wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, Justin Parnell. Okay. So uh, some people do know him because he writes uh, uh, cube-based articles. Uh, yeah. For us, but he uh, he also works uh, in Star City in the office with myself, um, and we uh, tend to cube every week. Uh, and just like talking with him about magic a lot, uh, playing with him, he is actually just very, very good. Cool. Um, 
Modern, obviously, is a format that uh, a lot of people have on the mind right now just due to the pending Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are not qualified for this one, if I'm not mistaken? Unfortunately, I, I lost in the, the top eight of the last PTQ of the season. Okay. Um, so have you been a part of some testing for that event? or Very little. Uh, so I helped Brian test for uh, for Dublin because uh-huh. uh, he didn't like actually have a team. Uh, so it was him him and JBL were working together, and I was helping them test. Uh, but for this event, Brian is working with the, uh, the Canadian team, actually. Um, and Brad is working with um, you know, Team SCG. Mm-hmm. So I haven't done very much modern testing with them. It's been more so I've just been bouncing ideas off of him so he can take uh, any information that he thinks is pertinent to the Canadian team and see what they think. Okay. So if you had to pick a deck for yourself, you're qualified for the tournament. You had to pick a modern deck today based on uh, no further bannings and assume zero information about the new set. What deck would you play in the Pro Tour for yourself? I'm a Pod. Yeah? Okay. Yep. And is that just, you feel it's the best deck, best suited to, or best suited to you? Because those are two very relevant questions. A little bit of both. I think that, that Pod is definitely one of the best decks. Um, and I really like puzzle type of decks, which is exactly what Pod is. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus, uh, I really enjoy playing decks that are able to gain incremental advantage um, that just turns into a critical mass to be able to beat your opponent, similar to uh, what Junk Animator used to be in Standard. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, awesome. I have a modern tournament provided we scrub out of the PTQ, so I want to make sure that I'm... Oh shit, I gotta bring my goyfs. You do? You better bring those goyfs, I'll kick your ass. They're expensive. <laughs> just bring them, bring them! If you don't bring them, I'll have to play Zur, and that'll make me sad. Oh, man. At least you can put Thoughts on to play. Dude, ah, that, deck's, that deck's actually very good. It's very good. Man, I never even thought of that. What the fuck? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And let me tell you, like, using... Holy shit. What using a th- shitty thing to do to someone. Using Thassa oh. to push through your guys to St. Trapped is pretty good, too, by the way. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I just wish there were six guys to St. Trapped in that deck, and it would be perfect. <laughs> oh my god, that's so fucking crazy. Yeah. Never even thought of that. Yeah. So I'll have to play it if you don't bring the goyf, so I'll I guess I'll just bring both just in case. But yeah, I, I'm uh I've been as I alluded to earlier with Bloodbraid Elf and Geist Saint Draft, I'm uh I'm a tribal flames kind of guy when it comes to modern as the format. I'm just uh I, I like my burn to go to the face for five. And then I like snapping it back and attacking with huge monsters. Can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong there. And so, ban the cattle? Uh, that would be pretty exciting stuff, actually. It would be. But then I, if they do that, then I, I think you're just firmly in the Naya camp. But that's just me. Anyways, I understand that uh, Anthony Lowry is playing some, uh, some interesting uh, zoo in modern right now with Champion of the Parish and Kurt Apes and all yeah, of that. Seen, I've seen him posting about it on Facebook. I haven't had a chance to check out his stream to see see what's going on, but it definitely sounds interesting, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't really sure about the placement of Champion of the Parish until I started to actually really analyze the rest of the deck. And uh, there's actually more humans in it than I thought there might be. So 
Uh, Burning Tree Emissary, for example, is a human, as we should remember from the Naya Blitz days. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. So, CVM, is there anything that you want to bring to the table and talk about, sir? Is there anything actually, on your chest you'd like to get off? Actually, no, I think we've covered just about everything. It's pretty sick. Yep, it's been an extensive kind of evening. So, what's the magic movie going to be about? <laughs> just so we can say that we talked about it. I don't know, but if they have any brains, don't cast me as Garrett. Nice! Because by the time that comes out, you'll be, like, hulkingly stacked. That's hilarious. With the giant beard. With the beard! Yeah, Fuck. he's got the beard. That's the thing. It's it's all beard. Alright. We should definitely uh, make that a hashtag and put that on Twitter. CVM for Garrick. <laughs> so does GFABs have to be Gerard if they decide to do the Weatherlight Crew movie? God, that's funny. I didn't realize we were actually casting this with magic players. We don't have to. Oh, okay. <laughs> but those are, yeah, that's, Garrick's a really good pick, Chris. Shit, that's a really good. Um, so, See, go ahead. I just, I, I feel like if they were to do the Planeswalkers, that we would get, like, you know, kind of like the standard, like, racial shift and stuff like that, where, you know, because they're all pretty vanilla right now. Um, and I just, I feel like they would, I feel like Garrick would just, not be a white dude anymore. Nah. I, I, I mean, you've still got, you've got Koth. you got Koth, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you cast James Earl Jones as fucking Karn, then it doesn't matter. That would be perfect. Right. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> I can get behind that. Just make him sound a little bit like Vader, but not too much, just a little. Just to, just to secure that appeal. Just a little. I'd be just okay if he just showed up and said, this is CNN. You know, like that, that would be enough. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, people have been saying that the best... So if, Okay, so if you've been living under a fucking stone, uh, Hasbro has sold the rights to a magic movie to Fox. And there's a partnership going on or whatever. And Wizards has said Hasbro executives are going to take an active role, uh, very important distinction, uh, in the creation and 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 representation of the Magic the Gathering world and, and universe. Now, I understand that one of the people that are attached to the movie from the Fox side um, was also attached to, in a prominent role, uh, to X-Men Days of Future Past, which looks insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's somewhat promising. But I think it was, I can't remember if it was Avid or somebody who was talking on Twitter, indicating that the real temperature check for how good this deck, this movie's going to be is who they get to direct it. That's probably fair to say. You're probably going to get, like, something... Like, I, I would imagine that you're going to kind of get, like, the same thing that they've been doing with a lot of the superhero movies. I feel like it's going to have, like, that kind of feel to it. Because, you know, they're taking an existing piece, uh, an existing brand out there, and they're kind of converting it that way. So I, I don't know if we're going to get anything super exciting, but, like, I, I just hope it's not embarrassing. That's so where would, would you rather see Planeswalkers as the characters, or would you rather see this more like the Dungeons & Dragons movie, where the characters were literally nobody, and it was just, like, taking place in there and had some subtle nuances? Like, which would you rather see? I think I'd rather see Planeswalkers. Um, to be honest, what I actually want to see is the Theros storyline as a movie. Like, the whole idea of 
Xenagos um, wanting to experience the powers that the gods have and hating them because they won't share it, becoming a god himself so he could take revenge on them. Seems like it'd be a real sweet movie. Yeah, this has actually got some of the best, like, as far as, like, storylines go, like, I'm really excited for this one. Like, the the Ravnica books, I read those, and those were okay. Uh, but the Theros stuff that they're going to have out, I'm really excited for that one, because this, this, this one has a really good, like, storyline behind it, as far as, like, magic storylines go. But that, okay, so, like, so I can get behind that, but, I mean, the characters are lacking, aren't they? Like, Xenagos and his character is awesome. I mean, is it is it the gods then that add to that? Because I mean, who have we had? Like in this, it's Ashiok and Elspeth. Ah, there'll be other stuff added in. I'm sure. And, and now we'll Kiora. get some. We'll get uh, and now Kiora. Sure. Dak Faden, who they've been doing all the comic book stuff with. He's supposed to be in the third uh, set. Oh, really? Uh, I'm pretty sure that they said that at uh, PAX for the first set when they were doing the world-building conference for Theros, that Dak Faden was going to be in the third set. Gotcha. Well, maybe then it might be all right. But see, that's the thing, is that do you have to go Jace? Do you have to have a a Jace story? Like, is Jace their poster child? If they go with Planeswalkers, um, it's like the the center for it, I think that that, that's probably what they would do. I feel like it it might be better... Because if I remember correctly, didn't, didn't they say that it, it's going to be like a series of movies? Like it's not just a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a series of movies. So like the universe. So they could either do you know just like storylines behind the planeswalkers, or take some of the the storylines from the different blocks and magic. Like the the weatherlight storyline is really awesome. Like the whole uh, Meriden, uh, uh, Meriden, Meriden Besiege, like all, all that stuff is really sweet too, like with the Phyrexians. So there's a lot of different cool storylines they could go with. Yeah, you know, when you talk about the Phyrexians, like I think of like the uh, the Brothers Marvel War. movies right now. Well, like even just the Marvel movies in general and how the one thing that made Avengers really, really good is that Loki is an excellent villain. And like that's where you know some of the other movies hurt, and where you kind of like are going to run into like an odd spot with Avengers Two is because they did such a good job with Loki, and he made such a perfect villain. Like maybe Dude. that's the key to the magic movies is that yeah. you have to have not necessarily you don't have to showcase the heroes, you have to showcase the villains. Like you have to make it about the Phyrexians, you have to make it about those things, and put the emphasis on the bad guy. Like do the Darth Vader. Who would be the coolest villain though in the magic universe? Well, it's Nicol Bull. It's not close, right? No, I I think the Phyrexians boring. are a better villain. Yeah, like, for Nicholas sure they are. The Phyrexians are the Borg, right? Like you, you could also have like an Eldrazi based one. Like you can like start no. there. Have a lot of that's good like boring. Boring. Yeah, like that's just that's their that's just boring. Like it's just typical Hollywood shit. Which I'm I wouldn't be surprised if this movie is that. But just like <laughs> oh man, it's the end of the world. One hero will stand against them all. <laughs> Gideon's like, yeah, and then it's like, M. and then Gideon's like, with his cat of nine tails. I'm like, whoa. I don't know. That just seems like, doesn't that seem shitty to you? See, Wait, it's, it's too wild if it was an hour and a half, one of those like still motion things that they do for like their intros. Oh, you know, like where they take the arm, <laughs> arm moves, like an hour and a half of that. Wouldn't that just be wild? Oh, man. I would pay the money just to wow. like, it's, it's Fox. You can't say that stuff out loud. <laughs> it might come true. <laughs> you ruined it. Oh, man. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like you're you're right. If you want to look at villains and stuff, like Bullrath was a very good villain. I, I agree, Chris. Yeah, like, like, the, the, the Weatherlight weather, Saga. Weatherlight Saga was very good. Although, and even if that's like the lead-in, yeah. Like, although if, that's if the they first did one, do the Weatherlight Saga, I think it would be a mistake because that was like however billions of years ago, and um, it doesn't resonate with current. Unfortunately, magic we would all like it, but I, I'm pretty sure that almost nobody that plays Magic right now would be into that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I go to if I go to F and M and I say like, "Oh man, does anybody put your hand up if you know what the Weatherlight Saga is?" and they'd be like, "Nope, nope." Like, oh, you mean those old cards that nobody has? Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you mean that Magic set that came out in '92? Like, you know what I mean? So unfortunately, that's true. It, it would probably have to be like a, a more modern villain. Yeah. Because like, I think that would be awesome. Like, that's a very good storyline. You know, they went from one plane to another to like do something. What did they do? They went there to like. Why did they go to Wrath? They had Well, that's Wrath was Wrath was the rest of over, overlaying Dominera to try and take over it. Right. Yeah. 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 So that happened, and then they're like, nah. And then they had the big workshop. It'd be like Star Wars. Of- it would be like fucking yeah. Star Wars. Is what that would they be had like. To collect a bunch of pieces to. Do something with Karn to try. And yeah, to make the legacy weapon. To make the legacy weapon, yeah. It would be like Star Wars. That's what it would be like. It'd be like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. It'd be fucking think, awesome. But then I think, like a, I think the Weatherlight Saga would make a better RPG than it would. Be. Yeah, yeah, could be. You know. But yeah, like, if they I, hadn't screwed up the slivers so much, the slivers could have been a good villain. But that's that's essentially the same as the Phyrexians, but with less dimension. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I feel like I feel like if you're gonna go with like a hive mind type villain, you would just go with the Phyrexians. They seem a lot cooler. So yeah, and I really like the the dynamic with the different traders of the Phyrexians. How they yeah. all had how they all had their own agenda and like didn't really care what was going on with the other ones. That that'd be well done too from a CGI standpoint, right? Like you could do some pretty cool shit with all those guys. Like Elish Nord would be insane. Lady Gaga could just play Elish Nord. Yeah, just so. play her. Yeah, wear a meat dress, call it a day. <laughs> But no, I, I it'll be interesting to see for sure how they turn it out. I mean, we've also got time, right? I mean, they've written blocks and storylines for the last for the next like two years, right? So I mean, who knows what's coming? Maybe they'll co in like if they're somewhat intelligent, they'll bring two of them together for from a time frame, right? Yeah, they'll have, have a, mo- a movie about a block come out when the block starts. Like, that would make sense, I would think, and release that, that it in September. Their, yeah, that like, would be their easiest way to make them, like, to cash in the most on it. Yeah. But that would well, also be, like, release so the movie cheap. for the last set of the block? That would feel so cheap, like, so shitty. Well, no, if you, well, I mean, unless they pull a Hobbit and just record three movies and then release one for each set. Yeah, instead yeah, of doing books, we'll just do movies for each block? Yeah. That would be awesome. Yep. All them money bucks. All them money bucks. I mean, it's Hasbro. You really can't put anything past them. And God forbid they take any of that money and put it into Magic Online. But <laughs> whatever. When is Star City Games launching their own Magic Online? <laughs> oh, that's my next one. <laughs> launching their own what? Launching Magic your own Online. digital card game. Yeah. When are you <laughs> launching your own Magic Online servers? Oh God. <laughs> if we if we do, I hope it's better than what's currently available. Seriously. Oh, goodness. And with that... <laughs> that was well-timed. That was well-timed. Alright. So what do you say, boys? We call it a night? Yep. We've been at this almost two hours. It's pretty right. sweet. KYT has some thrashings to receive. 
Yep. Tracks to receive. Yeah. Actually, on uh, when this released, the next day will be the official Man of Pride spoiler for the new set, and I've decided to give it to the one person I've yet to give it to, who's been a loyal Man of Pride uh, contributor. So this time, will be Durf will be getting it. And are you serious? Yes. Yeah. Is he going to spoil it in Durfing in in Dirtling Around? Yep. Oh, that's so amazing! <laughs> Oh my so, god! It's gonna be awesome, so we're still working on it and on the concepts and stuff, but uh, keep your eye on it. Uh, is it a good one? Can you tell us that much? No, no, I can't tell you anything. <laughs> you can never is ask him idea. Better, better or worse than the last one? You can never ask him that. Ever. No, it doesn't ever. work. It doesn't, doesn't work. work. Thank He'll you, never Jay. answer you. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> well, that's sad. But, you know, hopefully you can tell me about it this weekend when I see you at the PTQ. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can squeeze it out of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> physically. I'm pretty sure I could physically squeeze it out of dirt. <laughs> like, so long as I can get past the hurricane of flying kicks, I'm sure I'll survive. <laughs> Jesus. Which is not to say that I'm going to survive the hurricane of flying kicks. It's just to say that should I pass them, he's probably going to have to give it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us tonight. No problem. Thanks for having me. I hope you had at least a little bit of fun. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Nice. So, uh, feel free to come back anytime. Let us know uh, if you uh, ever feel like uh, jumping on someone else's stream with a sweet deck. Uh, let me know. I'm happy to do that too. Once we get some uh, Born of the Gods online and uh, this Xenagos God deck is going to be as good as I hope it's going to be, then uh, maybe you and I will have to beat some face together. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, I guess that'll be it for episode 163. Uh, those of you that, I, that KYT and I saw at uh, the PTQ on Saturday, thank you very much. We had a blast. We just are going to have fun because we're going to be there. Uh, Hopefully we had an epic time on Saturday night and we went to karaoke and drank somewhere and had epic food. I hope that is a thing. Yep. And, uh, guys, you want to say goodnight? Bye. I'm really excited to see all of you at GP Vancouver. Please come see me. I will sign tokens. Isn't that soon-ish? <laughs> yeah, yeah, next week. Holy next shit. Week. It'll be the weekend after the show comes out. Well, then there you go. Yeah. So make sure you guys check it out. You'll see Jeremy and KYT is going too, so they'll both be there to sign tokens at the face-to-face booth. Absolutely. Saturday night, just find us. Saturday night, we'll tell you where there is going to be some drinking and some something, karaoke, whatever. We're just going to go out and have a good time. Yep. I will bestow upon KYT many of my secrets, and he shall bring them with him. It'll be good. <laughs> sure. It'll be good. Uh, Chris, anyone you want to say... Anything special to shout out? Yes, no, thank you too. Um, thanks to you guys for having me on. I definitely appreciate it and I had a blast. Wicked. Beautiful. Well then, boys and girls, have a good night. Good night, guys. Catch you later. Sweet.